What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another edition of the Surf and Tales podcast. I'm your host, Scott Lease, here with my good friend and co-host, Richard Harris. And we are brought to you today by some of our wonderful friends and sponsors, including lead411.com, Salesforce Revenue Cloud, Vidyard, and Wingman. And everybody, Wingman is offering a free 14-day trial when you mention Surf and Tales. So dig in there, listen to every sales call, and uh, help your sales team navigate some tricky situations on the sales call. So appreciate all of our sponsors. We are here today talking to my friend Pratik Mather out of uh, the Chicago, Illinois-ish area, somewhere in, in, uh, in Illinois, right Pratik? Absolutely. Thank you so much guys for having me here. Yeah, so I'm based out of Evanston, we're uh, sort of up north, uh, up north of downtown Chicago. And uh, you know, very very close to Northwestern. Ah, okay. So that now now I'm orienting now around the Big Ten kind of speak, Richard. Just Scott, in case Scott you know. only needs to know like which baseball field are you near? Are you near Wrigley? <laughs> yeah, or yeah. Near Comiskey? Or are you near Soldier Field? <laughs> United <laughs> Center. All Scott needs to know. He's, he's closer. To, he's closer to Wrigley. He's closer to Wrigley. There you Absolutely. go. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, Pratik, you are the uh, the founder of Manager Enablement, and you've been an enterprise sales manager before, and you're a part of a uh, you know a bunch of different um, you know sales communities. Give everybody a little bit of a you know some context of of who you are and and what you're doing and what you're up to right now. Sure. So I've uh, I mean I've always been in sales as far as I can remember. It's been what uh, 17, 18 years now that I've been within sales. Uh, you know, either working for startups or helping establish organizations. Uh, you know, uh, you know, as in set up newer sales teams. And uh, you know, since the last two years, I've been uh, you know sort of helping newer sales managers. Uh, you know, on the side. And I quickly realized that that's really not that scalable. You know, I mean, I'm not that scalable. And hence, uh, you know, that I've, you know, that I've developed a platform, you know, the last couple of months, uh, you know, which is, which is ad manager enablement, um, which is really helping early sales managers, you know, navigate their management uh, experience and help them to, of course, uh, become better sales managers. And this is being done um, through the help of established sales leaders, so folks who are currently uh, VPs of sales and sales directors at some of the world's most uh, you know, iconic organizations. And through their content, uh, through their mentoring, as well as through skill development, I'm hoping to help sales managers lead smarter, hopefully sell more through their teams, and of course, you know, grow their careers. Yeah. See, I mean, the thing that is most interesting to me, and and you know, because you've you know we've had some dialogue and you've heard me talk about this, but um, you know, the gap in in teaching and training and coaching for folks who want to make the leap to sales management and sales leadership, and even once you are a sales manager or a sales director, hell, even a VP of sales. The, the, the coaching and the amount of resources out there disappears quite a bit by comparison to being an individual contributor. So was this something where you like, you know, saw a need, fill a need, or was this more just like something you're super passionate about? I, I want to know, I don't want, I want to know what like led you to get started. And then maybe you can give everybody just like a couple of real tactical tips on, you know, either making that leap or, or once you're in that role, you know, a few things that are kind of 
you know, don't, don't forget to do this. Make sure you do this. Sure, absolutely. So uh, yes, you know, I mean, I have been super passionate about about helping younger sales managers. And, you know, I think this, uh, you know, this sort of goes back, uh, you know, goes back to my experience. I mean, I was one of those sellers, you know, who was doing really well selling myself. And, uh, you know, one day, like my manager came to me and he said, hey, you know, you can sell, can you uh, help other sellers get better? And, you know, without any training, any support, I was now suddenly given the sales manager title. And I quickly realized that, you know, um, selling myself and managing people or leading people are two completely different skill sets. And without the right, you know, coaching, there's really no way, uh, you know, for these newer sales managers to succeed. And, you know, as I was going through my process, uh, you know, a couple of, you know, a couple of months ago, I was, you know, I was really trying to, you know, sort of do like a soul searching process, you know, for lack of a better word, you know, where in which I was trying to understand and trying to really, you know, dissect every decision that I'd made over the last uh, so many years. And that really led me to where I'm at today, uh, you know, where in which that I've been able to, of course, you know, create this platform. Now, um, you know, as an issue, the second part of your question, I mean, when it comes to, uh, you know, comes to really, you know, moving from moving from being, being like an individual contributor to, of course, as in managing people, there are a couple of things. I mean, the one thing that I'll say is, you know, it all starts with the right mindset. You know, are you are you at that stage where everyone else around you is greater than you? And, you know, and if, you know, and if you're at that stage where you know for a fact that, that this is the right time to, of course, help and coach and ensure that, that other sellers are growing their careers, that is, you know, that's, that's you know, I mean, that would the, be as in the first step. Yeah, Sorry, what's, the, what's the trigger point, right? Like, you know, when do you, and I, I like the, the first piece, which is, are people around you smarter than you, but what's the trigger point that I should look for? I'm a top sales rep, um, thinking about management. You know, what should I be looking at internally about myself to decide if I want to make that move or even just explore? Because maybe sometimes we don't know and we just need to explore. Yeah, absolutely. So the first thing, again, you, you know, I mean, going back to the mental mindset, you know, I mean, are you, you know, are you ready to, you know, to sort of, Put yourself, you know, uh, you know, as in, uh, I mean, on the back foot, and are you ready to ensure that that you're helping other, you know, sellers grow? And I think, you know, that trigger point is is when you know is when you have grown within your career, when you've been able to, you know, reach every uh, success metric and every success level that that you've defined for yourself, um, you know. And at that stage, uh, you know. That is, you know, I mean, honestly, as that's what happened to me. That was the time when it was time for me to move to the next step. And, and of course, you know, internally, yes, you should have already been hitting your goals. But, but more than any of those goals, you know, how are you helping those around you get better? And, you know, and then once you're at that stage, you know, the one thing is, is really asking for what you want. You know, what I've seen is that there are a lot of great sellers who, you know, who have gotten to that stage where, where they're able to, to coach other people, but they aren't necessarily able to ask for what they really want. And if you're what not should really they be able asking to, for? I'm sorry? What should they be asking for? They should be asking for, uh, uh, you know, for the next step within their career, which is to help other sellers get better at their job. 
And so I go in, so I go into my boss and I say, Hey, Pratik, um, you know what? I, I'm loving this role. I've hit these numbers. I think I want to explore the next level. Yeah. But it, I say, you know, Hey, can I start interviewing? Can I start asking for these things like super specific? Hey, can I help out on the interview or can I help on board or, you know, what, what kind of things should I be asking my boss who's supposed, you know, they're supposed to be the person to help me get to the next level. Yeah. So, um, so when you're at that stage where you are hitting your quota and when you're consistently hitting your goals, you know, are you helping the team members around you also get to their goals? That's one. The second piece to it is at that stage, that's when you also need to think of how else can you add value to your organization? Is it about, you know, building, for example, a customer advisory board for your organization? And can you lead that effort? You know, is it, for example, ensuring that you're building on the relationship with your cross-functional peers within, you know, um, finance, legal, et cetera? Um, you know, is it that you're helping your manager, um, you know, manage their team? So at that stage is when you really need to be able to say, hey, you know what, I have done all these things. I have not only hit my quota, I've not only helped others hit their quota. This is how I have impacted my organization. And now is the time for so me to ask for what better for things, You know, th this is the, for me, I have two more questions. I'll turn it back over to Scott. Um, one is, should I be doing that, some of those things without asking for permission, right? You know, should I be, you know, crafting the draft of what it would take to make an advisory board, or should I wait and go ask my boss first? Should I create some new dashboard or report and then go show my boss and say, you know, here's the initiative, or is it the opposite where it's like, you kind of sit back and wait? No. So you start yourself, right? I mean, you have to take the initiative. One of, one of like the biggest things about management and leadership is being able to take the initiative yourself and, you know, and showing to the rest of the team that this is how you really do something. So whether it's about creating the Salesforce dashboard, as you just alluded to, or whether it's about, you know, crafting what a customer advisory board could look like by, by um, you know, by building it alongside your cross-functional peers. So you start yourself, take that initiative, and then you go a few steps forward. Got it, which, which I agree with 100%. <laughs> Let me flip it. <laughs> One more question. Go. If I'm feeling X internally, how should I not go seek management? Like if I think these three things, I'm probably, you know, need to know that before I go ask about management. So how should you ask a manager? Is that the question? No, no, no. no. So my, my question is, if I'm thinking about going into management and you right. ask like, okay, I like to help people. I like to do this. So maybe that's an indicator. What are the indicators internally that I should be thinking of that would say, well, you know, keep in mind, this is what management might mean. And people may not know that. So that's kind of why I'm asking the question. Yeah. Like, what are your own internal red flags to say, no, you do not need to be a manager? Yeah, I think, um, you know, one of the biggest things there would be, for example, looking at your financial uh, self, right? I mean, have, you know, are you, are you at that stage where, where you've sort of been able to make the money that you have to? Because the second that you move into management, there is a higher probability that it's going to take you some, some more time to start making a similar amount of commission as you were earlier. 
you know so that you know so that would be one of the things that that i would uh, you know highly uh, you know as i recommend doing is if you're not comfortable or if you're not at that stage where you feel that you're able to take a you know financial dip the next couple of months um don't ask for it today wait it out and you know and then you know and then you know then go from there great scott i'm going to turn it over to you um because i'm going to yeah even i'll even i'll even hand this one off and say scott i was when i worked for you um you know if you want to call it that um you know i you know my team was okay we were never the best team but scott knew to bring me into management also because of my previous role but Scott, what are the things you like to see in a rep? Uh, how much did that align with what Pratik is saying? And then I'll let you ask him a question. In, in, a, in a rep, I, I'm distracted by thinking of the dynamic between me managing you and, and now the question, which sounded like, uh, yeah, what do I want to see in a rep? But what do you um, look, seriously, what do you look for in a rep that wants to move into management or manager who wants to move into director even? Like we haven't even talked about that. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the rep who wants to move into manager, um, I just wrote a whole book about it with Ryan, Ryan Walker called from rep to, to manager, but you know, let it be known. First of all, don't, don't hide it. Don't be, uh, you know, intimidated or ashamed of it. Have an open conversation about what needs to get done in order to make that, that transition happen. Um, and don't, don't wait for the promotion. Obviously start doing all of these things like Pratik, Pratik said, you know, find ways to, uh, you know, add value, make your boss's job a little bit easier to take things off their plate. Think of new initiatives <clears throat> that you can uh, kind of spearhead and take over like a customer advisory board, maybe like, like you was talking about. <coughs> Excuse me. The more interesting one to me, just because it's um, less talked about maybe is like, what about the sales manager who's trying to get to director or the director who's trying to get to, to VP, right? Now you start to get into really kind of strategic thinking and conversation and analysis of the data to point us in a different direction, right? Ind indications that, you know, a new particular vertical might be opening up for us or we can double our prices or, you know, you, you're, we launch a new product and you're like, yep, I'll take that one, right? And you go, you know, get this new kind of vertical or new product up and, up and running. Um, and, and a lot of kind of, uh, cutting things off at the pass so they don't make it to your boss, right? Like a lot of, a lot of intercepting, like, oh, there's this problem. I'm going to go fix and solve that problem before it ever lands on Scott's desk. Those are some of the things that come to my mind. What about you, Pratik? Can you talk about the manager to director side or the director to VP side uh, yeah. in terms of what you feel like somebody should do and where they should put their focus? Yeah, I mean, I would, you know, I would again go back to what you just mentioned as in when it comes to the data, uh, you know, you know, as an aspect of it, I mean, um, you know, how good are you with data? What type of insights is that data really, really giving you? And based on those insights, what type of strategy and story can you really develop that you can, you know, go back to your, you know, to your VP or to your director, whoever it is, and, uh, you know, say that, hey, this is where the opportunity could potentially lie. And, you know, and if, and if you guys would be open to it, this is how I would attack that particular opportunity, whether it's, it's developing a brand new channel, uh, you know, whether it's, it's of course, you know, uh, in, you know, developing as like a brand new, I'm going to go to market, I mean, whatever the case may be. 
Um, so yes, looking at that data and, and seeing the type of insights and then building on the strategy based upon that data. Yeah, and is it, is it like, a, how long do you think that process takes, if you will? How long does it take for a rep to prove it to their boss that they're ready for a manager? Or how long does it take for a, a manager to prove that they're ready to manage a bunch of other managers and get to the director chair? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I wouldn't necessarily, you know, put like a time frame there. Uh, but, but again, you know, I mean, I think, you know, when you're- So what, doing... is it, so what is it tied to if it's not a time frame? I agree with you that it's not necessarily a time frame. So what, what is a better indicator than, than time frame? It's tied to the activities, you know, that you're doing, you know, so for example, from a rep to a manager, uh, your quota, how are you helping your team's quota? How are you helping your manager? Then the next thing I would say, manager to director, look at the numbers, see you know, see what type of uh, you know uh, strategy that you can develop. But beyond that, if there are other managers within the organization, how are you helping them get better? You know how you know how are you really uh, standing out in terms of the type of direction that you've been able to you know uh, you know as in give you know for the organization. So I wouldn't necessarily put it across to time frame, but more. Uh, but more, of course, in a focus around the type of activities uh, that you're doing. And, wh and what is the, how are you measuring those ac activities? Because some of them are not like quantifiable things necessarily, right? It's not like I want my managers to be like, oh, hey, Scott, here, look, there's five times today that I uh, prevented problems from coming up to your desk. And I'm like, oh, cool, let's put that on the leaderboard, right? How, how are you? keeping track of of these these things yeah so um you know i would say it would you know it would uh, probably go down to the impact that you're having for the organization so let me give you one example uh, you know from my background uh, you know there was a time when you know where i was of course uh, you know you know i'm leading like individual contributors and you know and as i was finding success doing that what i started to realize was that some of the other sales managers that were that were on the organization were doing some things that were that were fantastic and doing some things that weren't necessarily great, and that's when I sort of stood up and I started to have those you know those those sessions with those sales managers. That was you know that was one aspect of it. The second aspect of it was going back to uh, you know going back to and some of the newer products that we were seeing on the market. And that's when I used my market knowledge to go back to my product teams and say, hey, guys, this is what our, uh, you know, what our competitors are doing. Here's what my recommendations are based upon what I'm seeing. Then the third aspect of it was, you know, working, you know, working as in cross-functionally and cross-regionally. Uh, and that's really basically saying, hey, you know, I have done X, Y, Z, and this has been super successful for me. Um, what are some of the things that y'all are seeing that has worked and how can we implement it organization-wide so that the organization is of course moving 10 steps forward. So these are, you know, these are some of the things that I had done that sort of helped me to go from being a manager of ICs to being a manager of managers. I wanna, this is all fantastic advice, super detailed. Um, Scott, you're gonna have to write an addendum to your book, I think. Um, no, 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 no. You mean Pratik will write the addendum to the book. That's true. Scott doesn't like to work hard. He gets other people to do it for him and then likes to, you know, co-author. Um, 
Scott's laughing out loud. I wish he would stop going on mute every time I make him laugh. Because people might think I'm just a dick and who doesn't get it. <laughs> okay, there you go. I That's, took myself off mute so everybody can go. laughing. So I wanna I wanna pull way out of this conversation. I want to go all the way back, right? So and we can literally say last century. Um so your was it your first legitimate job you worked for Coca-Cola? Yep. Right. And you were in sales at Coca-Cola? Yeah. So, so when I started, uh, you know, uh, and this is back in India and, um, you know, at that point in time, and, and this I'm talking about in the late 90s. So, uh, you know, around the 70s, India had this, this nationalist movement, you know, where, where they basically um, ensured that every international organization did not have a presence. And this was around the time that, that uh, you know, like around like the late 90s is when they opened up the market once again. And that's when uh, Coke was sort of, as in, you know, it was reestablishing their presence within India. I was given the opportunity to, to work with them in their merchandising team. So think of a young guy sitting on one of those Coke trucks, going to every mom and pop store, opening up their refrigerator and, and ensuring that Coke is front and center. And, and of course, you know, along with Coke and Sprite, et cetera, et cetera. So that's, that's where I really started working with them. And, um, you know, going from merchandising, they put me into key account management. And then from key account management, I moved to channel management. And that's when I really realized that at the end of the day, what I really, really, really love doing is working with my customers and tying outcomes to volume. And uh, that's when I moved into sales, uh, you know, where in which I was, uh, you know, managing a fairly large territory. What, what in you said, okay, aside, aside from I like working with customers, right? What else made you go, okay, I think I like this sales thing. Because sales is not marketing, right? Absolutely. And it's not customer success, right? You, there's, a, there's a different itch that needs to be scratched. Yeah, what, was, what was your itch? Yeah, for me, um, you know, selling a fast moving consumer goods such as, you know, such as Coca-Cola, you know, and, and of course having a, uh, you know, having like a competitor sort of steps you breathe down my neck. Um, one of the things that I, that I absolutely enjoyed working with my customers was the, for lack of a better word, the aggressiveness, you know, that I could, you know, that I could uh, bring in. And you know, Define that. I, so slow down for a second. What, what do you mean by aggressiveness? So, for example, when I'd be working with, say, a mom and pop store at that point in time, I'd be like, hey, guys, you know, um, this is who I am. This is the product that I'm selling. And then they would throw it back on my face saying, yeah, but, you know, but like Pepsi just decided to print out all my menus. And they decided to also, for example, give me like a 10 percent off if I were to buy X number of cases. And I was like, all right, that's that's all well and good. Uh, what's really important for you? Is it really more about the menus that they printed for you, or is it really more about the volume and really more about the discount? You know, you know, and that's more important. And that's the piece that I that I absolutely enjoyed breaking down my competitor. Number one, of course, but number two, being able to stand up and say, "Hey, you know what? Pepsi did so much for them." And I'm able to do X, Y, Z more that is basically tying into the volume, which means they are making so much more money working with me and give it another few more days and my competitor will no longer be there. So, and so in, in that world of Coke versus Pepsi, which I, I want to dive in deep on this one for a sure. second, is, um, this is, this is going to be great. In, in, Coke versus Pepsi. Exactly. So 
if I recall, restaurants are either one or the other, right? Or, or was it not that way there at that time where it's like, no, they could still sell both. Yeah. So uh, back then they could sell both. Okay. Um, I was going to say, I, re I remember being a kid, Richard, or, you know, at least in my teens and people would have like Coke or Pepsi on the same, you know, vending machine, not vending machine, or, but like, you know, soda fountain or whatever. Yep. Well, I would, I mean, I would see that at, I would see that like a, you know, um, the store, the convenience store, 7-Eleven or whatever, but not, I don't remember seeing it on a menu, but you know, maybe I just don't remember because of my age, Scott. Um, I, I, I stabbed myself in the back on that one for you, buddy. So, so talk to me though, like, what did they, how did they train you to talk about Pepsi? Like, were they like, <laughs> you know, was it, was it like they have, nasty sugar water whereas we have a refreshing flavor no to be honest with you this is my first sales job without any training <laughs> so this is going into a store and saying hey you know you love pepsi good for you here's you know i mean how much discount do you do you like really need to you know to like get these guys out how much volume can you commit to me based upon what i'm offering you um and you know and it and it really wasn't anything about you know, taste or, or like anything about preference, because because at the end of the day, uh, back in you know, back in those days, if you went into a restaurant and if your you know your your waiter or your server, if if they offered you Coke, yeah, that's what you drank. Right. Uh, you know. So did you get a, that. <laughs> did you get a spiff if like you kicked Pepsi out? Um, not early on. Um, early on, it was just really about establishing. Coke's presence more than anything else, um, you know, and then, yes, after that, after some time, you know, then we, you know, then we started to have spiffs that were really more, uh, you know, that were really more driven around beating out competition, really more driven around merchandising, really more driven around, you know, how much of a street can I possibly capture that has Coke branding everywhere? So what do you, so, so this will be my last question on this one, unless Scott's got one, which is, what do you drink now, Coke or Pepsi? I have been a loyalist ever since. So I am so no way. I promise you, me, my wife, both of us still drink Coke. Wow. <laughs> That's hilarious. That's hilarious. I can't believe I can't believe that. They they converted him. Converted him. <laughs> uh, entirely different question. Maybe it's a little bit related. I mean, gosh, you're you're selling, you know, CPG, right? Um, and for Coca-Cola and you, you've been in a lot of different, a lot of different interest in a lot of different interesting industries. You went from CPG to insurance, to banking, to software, to more of services in terms of like zero cater. Mm -hmm. um, is there a tie, a tie that binds all these sales that maybe we haven't thought of? Yeah. Um, you know, so for me, I think uh, one of the reasons why why I was able to you know to like progress through different industries was based upon the organizations you know that I was working with. They were either sort of starting up, so whether it's this this huge brand of Coke that's reestablishing, but they're still sort of it was sort of like a startup. To, for example, the life insurance organization also you know that I worked with. So one of the things that I that I found over time that that I think that I was good at was establishing process, was establishing teams, was establishing go-to-market. And that's one of the things that was sort of 
consistent, you know, through all the industries, uh, you know, that I've, you know, that I've worked in. Yeah. And then, and then what about the differences in how you, not just how you sell maybe, but like how you operate in, in, in trying to sell Shutterstock versus Coca-Cola versus selling in the banking industry. I mean, tell, tell me if I'm wrong, but I don't feel like that many people can just move between so many different industries seamlessly. There's got to be some sort of skill there. No? Am I wrong? I would like to believe that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, I would say that one of, one of the biggest things would be the fact that, you know, that if you're able to understand what your customer really needs, and if you're able to understand how to solve that problem, whether you're selling a Coca-Cola, whether you're sitting across a CFO and selling life insurance, or whether you are, for example, you know, selling something which is more marketing driven, it really doesn't matter. Are you, are you able to understand what the problem is? Are you able to articulate what that problem is? And are you able to ensure that you have but, a solution that sort of solves that problem? But I wonder if that, I, I just, I have the sense that like that part is harder than we're giving it credit for here. Like it takes, it takes a while to learn the ins and outs of the, you know, the beverage industry. It takes a while to learn the ins and outs and the lingo of the insurance industry and the banking industry and all these different things. Right. I mean, I've moved my whole career. I've moved industries, but it's always been like SaaS products and services. So the leaps to me feel quite small by comparison to the leaps that, that you've made. And, uh, you know, I think, I don't know, I don't, I'm curious what Richard thinks, but I feel like critique is like, you know, a bit of a, a rare bird here that he can kind of seamlessly move through these different different industries and and make it work. Making sure I'm off mute, right? I'm eight and one for the year, so uh, I see it that way. I, I find it more fascinating because I think the skill set of the lateral move and the horizontal ability to sell is fairly easy. I think it was harder for leaders to recognize, and I still see this. Like you know, you need industry experience. It's kind of like no, you don't. Um, but I think the interesting thing for me is how you went from a very large fortune brand, um, you know, a little, maybe a top 10 into lots of other startups. And what's that experience like, you know, does, you know, and clearly at this stage, you've got the right logos for the startup world, but was that logo of Coca-Cola, what got you the interviews originally <laughs> for those other things? I'm not sure. Uh, you know, I mean, I would say yes at the time that I that I, you know that I that I moved to a life insurance company, uh, definitely. But but beyond that, I think it was the fact that you know wherever that I that I worked, e either they were starting up, or they were in need of building a brand new sales team. So again, you know, like like you still have that same sort of startup mentality where you are. Um, you know, doing, yeah, and doing like 10 different things all at the same time. Yeah. Uh, I, th I think that's really good. I want to, I want to shift a little bit too. I want to shift. You went from India to the States, mm -hmm. right? You transitioned. Um, tough, easy, simple. 
Um, so, you know, I mean, I have always wanted to, you know, to try to do a kind of MBA program here within the States for as long as I can remember. And that's, and that's what's, you know, and that's what really hasn't got me to Boston. Um, what was honestly crazy was I, I, I graduated during the last financial crisis. And, you know, anyone in my situation and, you know, and I know like a lot of folks you know, from my same batch who, you know, who were just like, hey, you know, we're just gonna back up, go back home. Cause of course we have, uh, you know, I mean, we have student loans, but I think, you know, there were, there were two things at that time. One was the fact that I was determined to ensure that, that I would never be, you know, financially stuck because of a student loan and I'd work my butt off to, you know, you know pay that off. And, uh, you know, and then the second aspect of it was I met my, my girlfriend then and my wife now. And that was, you know, that was like a huge, of course, uh, you know, motivation for me. Uh, but was it necessarily difficult moving up, sorry, and was it necessarily difficult selling there versus here? Um, there is a slight, you know, um, difference according to me now, again, I am comparing selling in India between 99 to of course 2000, uh, 2007 to now, and I'm sure things have changed there. But I think, you know, yeah. at the time that I started to sell here, it was more value driven, more than price driven. Uh, now I'm sure things have changed. I mean, hopefully things have changed. Got it. Do you ever, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna go even a little deeper, hopefully not too dark, but do you ever feel like you are still discriminated against or were you ever based on your, you know, not coming from America, right? Or because you went through the MBA program and, and those things, it's never really been an issue for you. And I'm asking because 2020 and 2021 are such. Yeah. <laughs> you know, fortunately, I have never felt that way for, um, you know, for any of the employers that I've uh, that I've worked at, for any of the organizations that I've that I've interviewed with, as well as, of course, you know, the people that I work with today. I have fortunately never felt that um, I have had, you know, colleagues and friends who have come back to me, you know, and said that. Uh, but for me, fortunately, it's it's really just been more more focused around what I bring to the table and how I can probably elevate the organization more than the color of my skin. That's great. I'm glad to hear that. I'm glad you found those organizations um, that get it um, yeah. or, or never had to even think about it, which I'm kind of hoping is what really is there. Um, thank you for, for answering that question. Of course. Uh, so, you know, we're, we're getting to that place where we, we sort of have to wrap up, although it's fascinating to me that this thing flew by like crazy. Yeah, I can't believe it's been almost an hour already. I know. Uh, so, so you know, obviously we need to quickly give a shout out to um, Lead 411, Vidyard, Salesforce, uh, Revenue Operations Team for supporting us, and of course the Wingman and their 14-day free trial, you said, Scott? That's right. That's right. Yeah. So, um, but, you know, obviously, you know, our, our mostly last question for you is, is what advice can we give to you if, if you might need it? Well, I anyways learned so much from you guys on LinkedIn and on Patreon. So thank you so much for that. Uh, but that being said, I mean, when it comes to, for example, you, Richard, you know, that, that you've been within the sales training space for a while. How did you get into it? How did you get 
your first big big logo and what were some of your learnings from there that someone who's sort of starting something uh, which is of course linked to the sales manager piece that I can use well first of all I got lucky uh, I was I was fired um, which is always my favorite story but the the, the true story is that company I was with, Mashery, hugged me out the door. Um, they were being acquired uh, by Intel. Intel did not need another person in my role. And it was just, you know, one of those decisions where, you know, I'm, I'm lying, you know, 1,422 on a, you know, 100 line spreadsheet of, of priorities. Um, but they did a really nice job of hugging me out the door, which taught me a great lesson, gave me a lot of runway. Um, was interviewing like crazy and couldn't get it, couldn't get over the hump of the next thing. And it's because I lacked vision. You know, people were asking me if I wanted to, you know, if I would run an SDR team, what did I want? You know, I'd give them that stupid answer of, I want your job, VP of sales. <laughs> what I should have said, and this is 2012, what I should have said is, I want to build a world-class dominating SDR organization. Like that's the answer, right? Um, so, uh, so I missed that. And then a few months later, um, I got a phone call from a company in Austin that Scott had introduced me to a year previous. Um, and they said, can you help with this? And I said, sure. And I went down to Austin for a month, flying back and forth, sat on a plane uh, next to Nick Meta at the time. Gainsight was like 15 employees, had a second client for a month. And then I picked up the phone and called John Barrows. And I said, what do you think I should do? And he's like, go for it, man. It doesn't happen this way. Make it happen. So, uh, and he's always been supportive to me. So my story is different than a lot of other people. Um, one logo begets the next and it has less to do with the logos in my opinion, as much as it has to do with the pains you solve. Right. So my tagline is, you know, teaching reps to earn the right to ask questions and which questions to ask. And by the way, here are the companies I've done that with not here's the companies I've done business with. So that's my first piece of advice is focus on your story and make it as concise as possible in a pain that relates to who your buyers are. That's, that's the best piece of advice and how I did it. Scott's advice is, is different and works, which is, uh, and I'll pause and, and make sure I answered your question, which is you build your side hustle while doing your first job until you can you know, make the transition. Yep. Um, but I hope I, did that answer your question or was there more to it? Yes, it did. Thank you. Sure. So, Scott, you want to um, give a shout, a shout out on this? Well, you, you kind of talked about, um, you know, my, my philosophy on it. And it, it was to kind of de-risk the endeavor as much as, as much as I could, you know. And so I started dabbling and dabbling. And, you know, by the time I got to a place where the side thing was kind of equal to the to the main thing, uh, you know, I felt a little more confident with it. Um, Richard knows this, like I'm a bit of a chicken when it comes to this. Like I could have, should have maybe, you know, made the leap before. Um, but I did feel like, you know, I had some unfinished business, right? Like I've had a couple nice little wins, but I always wanted, maybe it's my ego, uh, you know, I don't know, ambition, whatever you want to call it. Like I always wanted to have one big, win or one big you know pop if you will so so i could just always i never wanted somebody to be able to hang something over the my over my head and be like well you're not qualified to speak on this because you've never done that right um 
unfortunately it looks like I'm, I'm going to have that thing. So, you know, I, I kind of did all the things that I felt like I needed to do and it was a natural time to do something else. And so that's, that's how it felt right for me. One, one last question for you, Pratik, is um, what has Scott taught you about tequila? <laughs> tequila that's for sure. <laughs> Can you name one thing? Like, has he taught you about how it's made, how to recognize smoothness? Has he... You better, you better get this answer right, because I don't want people thinking that I'm not <laughs> teaching about tequila, because I have definitely provided content about tequila, Pratik. Man, I would say, <laughs> I would say it's perhaps some of the brands that I've that I've never really heard of before. There you go. Maybe. <laughs> there you go. I mean, I've I've got him away from the Patron only, you know, knowledge base, uh, Richard. Right. <laughs> Patron's a little bit like Jägermeister at this point, right? Yeah, like, so it's more like Budweiser at this point. That's true too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hey, Pratik, thank you so much for coming on. I know you joined us last minute, so we really, really appreciate it. Of course. Thank you so much for having me here. Yeah, thanks for helping us out, man. Absolutely. Thanks, Scott. thanks, Richard. Take care. Yeah.